Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here, and we are honored that you joined us. You're excited. I'm excited. Love you, love you, love you. Miss you. We had some uh, time of travel in the month of July, and so it's good to be back. I want to welcome, uh, just as Pastor Nick said, all of our first-time guests. Honored that you're here. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. And, and really, if you, if you joined us over the last few weeks and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you and you've come back, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us. I, I'm going to wrap up a series today uh, called Summer and Milestone. And uh, it's been an exciting time this month. And we've heard some amazing from some amazing communicators. But before we do, I, I want to highlight just a little bit of what you just saw uh, when it comes to summer camp and we, we've had a lot going on this summer. You had middle school camp, you had kids camp, we had VBS here at this campus. It was phenomenal to hear what God was doing in young people's lives. Uh, we had high school camp, They'll be, they're actually on their way back, they're down in kind of the South Texas area on their way back uh, now, and it's amazing to see. I love just seeing these pictures, hearing these stories of young people's lives being impacted and changed, and every time I see this, I'll be honest, it takes me a minute because one, it'll overwhelm me. I, I'll just start getting teary-eyed. Second of all, I could just start talking about this all day long. Because something happens when young people get in God's presence. And we prioritize this because we know that as a multi-generational church, you don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great young person. You can be a great kid. You can be a great teenager and make a difference. And at the end of the day, the thing that we all want for our children, we all want for our students and our teens, is that they know they have a relationship with Jesus and they can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because one day, they're going to be out of our home. And it's not going to be us being able to navigate and manage those things. And even if they should make a foolish choice along the way, once they are out of our home, the Holy Spirit, the Word says that while we were still sinners, when we were far from God, the Holy Spirit still reached out to us, spoke to us, connected with us, met us where we were at, and so God can work and move. And so we take these times, intentional moments for young people to experience Jesus. And I loved what we did with that sunrise hike with the cross. They did it with the guys and the girls separately. It was a significant significant, powerful moment, and just hearing so many stories about that, I just go on and on celebrating what God is doing. But it's not just our young people. It's for all of us. We had a group of individuals, maybe you've seen a few here this morning with these shirts called Freedom. It says Freedom on it. And we, uh, during the course of the summer, we have small groups that meet for nine weeks. And they're freedom groups. And these are uh, designed to really kind of begin to dig in and unpack areas in our life where, guess what we need? Freedom. We need healing in it. We need, we need to experience wholeness in it. And, and even just now, there, I was talking to a lady that was leading a small group. She had two ladies in her freedom group give their life to the Lord. I had one that I met. Yeah, come on. That's exciting. I had one that I met in between service. It was awesome. She was crying. She was telling me how she texted her husband. And she, she texted him and said, I did it. And he's like, did what? <laughs> like, I don't know. It could be a lot of different things. Like, it's like I gave my life to the Lord. She said, my parents have been praying for me for 39 years, and I finally surrendered my life to Christ. It's amazing. Amazing to hear. Amazing to hear. Amazing to see. We'll have freedom groups again uh, later on in the year. But it's, it, we love moments like this. Nine weeks they meet. Okay, that's a commitment. Then they go to Keller and they have what's called Freedom Weekend. And that's where they were at uh, Friday night and then yesterday for the better part of the day at Freedom Weekend. So proud of you. So honored uh, to be your pastor here in McKinney. And it's amazing to see what God is doing. 
And, you know, when I think about this, it's all about how God's growing each one of us. And that's what Summer at Milestone has been. How do we grow closer in our relationship with God? We heard, I loved having young communicators out here because we are multi-generational. We're raising up leaders. Pastor Ryan, our high school pastor, and Keller out here sharing and talking about what it looks like to be planted in the house of God. Pastor Luke, our, our camp, online campus pastor, sharing last week. We got to hear via video uh, as we joined our Keller campus uh, from Pastor Steve Vigalis and Pastor Dino Rizzo as guest speakers. And God doing so much to intentionally grow us. And so what I want to do is I wrap up this series, I want to talk about something that I think impacts all of us. And it's an area that I know I can grow in. And I find that as I get older, I really need to be diligent and dialed in in how I grow in this. And it's peace. How do I live with peace? How do I live a life with peace? Not just momentary peace, but how do I live a life with peace? I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. On the way there, we're going to stop off in Isaiah 26. Uh, you know, when I think about peace, when I think about this season, I think about uh, uh, summertime during the month of July, we did a little bit of road tripping. Anybody, any road trippers in here? You know, you love to road trip. You're, and like you're pros. Like some of you, I see some of you. You got a whole flow. You got like road trip shirts you wear. There's a whole like uniform like outfit for road tripping. You're like into like there's road trip snacks. Like kids are like, mom, can I have that? You're like, no, only on a road trip. It's like there are those things. It's like all the stuff, right? And can I tell you something though that I know, and I like a good road trip. I'm down for the get down, all right? But there's something that I've learned about road trips. You better get your mind right. You, you got to be dialed in because it, it can be full-on combat just getting out there on the highways, okay? Because then, not only are you on the highway with other people, have you ever thought about the concept of being in a metal container traveling at 70 miles an hour down the road with other people doing the same thing, just as distracted, loud, and chaotic in their vehicle as yours? I mean, think about this. I mean, oh, my God, you really start wrapping your brain around it. You're like, are we crazy? Okay, and so you're doing that thing, and you're going down. the. You're just traveling, right? And, and you know, the thing is, though, it's like you got to have your mind right because kids, if you've got, like, road tripping is one thing. But if you have little humans the age of 11 and younger in that vehicle with you, it's a whole nother. The full-on combat is actually in your vehicle. It's not in the highway, okay? And so you're driving. Kids, they got stuff they need. They need to use a restroom. They need to eat. They need a snack. They need a drink. Can you pass this? Can you? Don't touch me. You stink. How come this, that? Hey, I need to watch a movie. What is it going to do? Blah, blah, blah. They, now you got video games. You can do all sorts of When I was growing up, I'm 44 years old. When I was growing up, it was a station wagon, summer sausage, and a coloring book. That was it. That's what you got on your road trip. That's what you had. Okay, now we've up, upgraded. And, and, and for some of us, it's amazing. You, 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 you recognize that there's also this, this phrase that begins to happen once you get in the vehicle. And it never fails. It's, it's only like 30 minutes into the vehicle, in, into the drive once you're, once you're driving. And all of a sudden, from the back of the vehicle, you hear this cute little voice. And they say this phrase... Are we there yet? Your kids are hanging out with my kids. What's going on? It's like age. I was talking to a lady. She said, you think they'll grow up uh, in between services? She said, I know, Pastor Chris, you think she'll grow out of it? They won't grow out of it. I'm 26. I still ask my husband, are we there yet? You know, it's like, it's like what, what, you know, and it's like, are we there? And in fact, I have a little one. 
That's her favorite phrase. In fact, she loves the phrase so much we bought her a shirt. This is her shirt. This is it right here. Are we there yet? We said, now you don't have to ask. Just point at your shirt. Are we there yet? We told her. We said, baby, don't ask that question again. I mean, you're, you're getting into the place of like, if you ask the question, you're going to get corrected. So don't ask that question, okay? So, so now she's wisened up, though. She doesn't just say, are we there yet? She's gotten wise. She goes, how much longer? I said, actually, you really don't want to know because you're asking me five minutes after I last told you, and it's a 10-hour drive. So, like, we're, like you're going to get real depressed and discouraged, okay? And, and, and you think about that, and you think about the mindset you have to have. And it, it's funny, but whether you're going on a road trip, whether you're going into a new season, I know many are getting ready for school. Either you're getting ready for school, you're getting your kids ready for school. There's change, there's transition. Where, whatever it may be, wherever you may be, can I tell you, the way you think about things is so significant. It's so important. And, and our mindset is so key. You see, because if you don't have the right mindset, you're not going to manage your expectations. You're not going to see things correctly. You, gotta, you have to see it properly. And it starts with, those thoughts you have in your mind. During this time in, in July, I was reading in, in Isaiah. And what happens with, with a mindset, you know, you, it's important for you to take time. Take time to, to slow down a little bit. Whatever it, you're able to do, whatever that may look like. But here's what I've learned through the years. A, a change of pace when I slow down a little bit. A change of place. doesn't have to be far or expensive. It equals a change of perspective. I begin to see things a little bit differently. And so even when you read God's word, it'll help you that way. And reading in Isaiah, I, I read a scripture that I've read many times before. I've, I've prayed many times before. But when I read it, 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 probably because of where I was at, I really needed it. It encouraged me, and my hope is that it encourages you, and it really sets up the backdrop of what we're going to talk about today. Isaiah is writing. Now, Isaiah, let me give you a little context, is a major prophet. Now, you may wonder, what does that actually mean? You hear about minor prophets and major prophets. It doesn't mean he was any more important. It simply means the book that he wrote was bigger than the other books. So you have minor prophets and major prophets. And, and Isaiah is a significant book because it's very much a prophetic book. What does that mean, a prophetic book speaking towards the future? It's a prophetic book of what is to come. It actually talks a lot about Jesus, who he is, what he'll do, and the significance of who he will be to us. And what's happening is Isaiah, as he's communicating, he's giving this prophetic voice and this word to the things that we can expect and see in Jesus. And he says this in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Where's my mind? What's it stayed on? What's it focused on? Because what I focus on, I fixate over. What I fixate over, I'll move towards. What am I focused on? My mind is stayed on you, Jesus. My mind is stayed on you, Lord. Why? Because he trusts in you. It goes back to what we prayed earlier when we were praying for those prayer cards. That becomes the crux. That's the hard part. i got to trust in you, God. I have to trust that you're working. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You see, we need to think about what we're thinking about. Even scientifically, there's so much on cognitive psychology and the impact of positive thoughts and negative thoughts on the brain and having to rewrite neuropathways and all of the implications of what that looks like. But Isaiah is not just simply talking about cognitive psychology. He's talking about the person that we place our trust that allows us to experience the peace that we long for 
in our life. You see, the reality is that my peace is shaken when my trust is misplaced. Have you ever had your peace shaken a little bit? You feel, man, it's a little unsteady and I don't know what's going on and what to expect. Most of the time when I evaluate that in my own life and I track it back, what I'm recognizing is I probably misplaced my trust. My peace is shaken because my trust was in that 401k, in that stock, in that job promotion, in that relationship, in that person, in that circumstance, in that situation, in that vehicle, in that toy, in that whatever it is, I recognize my peace is shaken because my trust was misplaced but Jesus has something better than that for us Isaiah continues to write in the same chapter and here's what he says in verse 12 Isaiah writes and says oh Lord you will ordain peace for us for you have indeed done for us all our works God ordains peace that word ordain what does it mean to officially order or decree So he's saying, I've ordained peace for you. Now, understand the significance of this writing. We're reading chapter 26, but when the Bible was written, it wasn't written chapter and verse. Chapter 25 is about victory over death. Chapter 27 is about redemption, the redemption of Israel. And right in the middle of victory and redemption is this driving position, this driving thought, this overarching, reiterating issue and perspective and it's peace he's saying peace I want you to have peace the significance of of him ordering peace in our life and ordaining peace in our life so Isaiah is planting a seed of peace for us peace that is to come you see peace is what we're all looking for think about it we all want peace I mean who signed up for yeah I like crazy chaos can I you know no you didn't like you're like I want peace We're all looking for peace. We all want peace. We want peace in our home. We want peace in our family. We want a peaceful place to visit, a peaceful place to hang out, a peaceful place at the home. We're all trying to create these things, these areas, these feelings. We want peace in our marriage, peace with our kids. We want our kids to be at peace with one another, you know. It's like we want peace. And when I think about peace, I think about that little road trip phrase, are we there yet? And I think that's where it all begins when it comes to peace. You see, what happens is that's how we position ourselves. Are we there yet, God? Have I arrived yet? Are you done doing what it is you're doing? I have my plan and what this was supposed to look like. Your plan looks a lot different. Are we there yet? Are you done? That young lady was, she was right. We never really grow out of it if we're not careful. We just, instead of doing it on a road trip, we're doing it with God. And we don't have peace in our life and we feel unsettled and unruly. Now the truth is this, so recognize, I recognize because I see it in my life and in yours. We have moments of peace. We have momentary peace. We experience it. But if we're not careful, we attach it to the wrong thing. We have those moments of peace. But God wants you to be able to live with peace. To live with a godly peace that's, that's found only in him. You see, when we experience peace, if we don't recognize where it really comes from, we attach it to the wrong thing and we try and obtain it in the wrong way. And so what happens, we think, okay, peace is going to be when I have it all figured out. I mean, you're like, you're the detail-oriented person. You like to have all the details. I got to have a good game plan. One, two, three, line upon line. Okay, you're like, I like now look, okay, I like details. You like details. There's nothing wrong with it, but let's just be honest, okay? You and me together, we're in it together. We got control issues. That's what it is. It just comes down to I want to be in control. 
So I think if I'm in control and I have it all figured out and have all the details, I'm going to have peace. No. The misconception is that my experience will lead to peace. That's not true. But then some of you have negative experiences. You have hard times, situations you go through in a circumstance or with people. And so you say, well, I didn't like that, so I'm going to push that away. I'm going to remove that. I'm going to get rid of that. All those negative people out of my life, all that negative energy, all those negative people, whatever it may be. And we think, if I do that, then I'll have peace. Not true. Because then your option is exile. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, is to get you off by yourself because then that's how he attacks. You see, so we think I'll gain peace if I have it all figured out and I lean on my experience. I'll gain peace if I just wall myself off and nobody can hurt me and then I live in exile and now I'm living with crowded loneliness. I got people all around me but nobody really knows me. God has something better. God has something better. You see, the truth is that we can grow in this area. We can grow in living a life filled with the peace of God. And the truth is this. We can have as much peace as we want. How much peace do you want? You want just a little bit of peace in your life? Or you want what God has ordained for you? That your mind is stayed on him. And your life is filled with peace. No matter the circumstance. No matter the situation. No matter what's going on. No matter what the ticker at the bottom of the news channel that you're watching says, no matter what your sports team did or didn't, no matter what's going on a bit, there's going to be good times, bad times, up, down, mountaintops, valleys. It doesn't matter. You can have peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Now, I'll give you a little context about the book of Ephesians. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. It's a young church. He, it's, it's, a, it's a bustling city. It's, it's significant in, in the role that it plays. And what Paul is doing is he's lining out and he's helping us see the impact of the New Testament covenant. Now, the Old Testament and New Testament covenant, the promise that God has is that, one, it's rooted in me understanding and obeying what God is speaking to me and the revelation of who God is in my life. But the difference between the Old Testament, which was centered around one priest, that would essentially would be me, making all these sacrifices. I'm burning goats and doves and bulls and all this stuff on, the, on, on behalf of mine and your sin so that we can have a relationship with God. Jesus comes and he changes all that. It's no longer about all these things that we have to do to obtain. Now Paul is saying the peace that you once had hope of experiencing in the hope of a Messiah, you now can experience because of the presence of the Messiah. He's here. He's accessible. And it's the work that he's done. It's what Jesus did that makes a way for us. And so here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. says, remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We've all been there before. Some of us may still be there. You feel hopeless. Your world doesn't have God in it. We all were there at one point. He's saying, at one time, you were separated from God. 
You're separated from Jesus. You're separated and you live life feeling as though there was no hope. Because there was no hope. Because you lived as though there was no God. If you find yourself continually making foolish mistakes, you read in Proverbs, the word foolish comes up often. Do you know what the word foolish actually means in the actual original context? It means to live as though there is no God. That's what it looks like to live foolish. I live and look foolish when I live like there is no God. And I experience nothing but hopelessness. I love what he continues to say when he writes in verse 13. Watch what it says. But now in Christ Jesus. I love it. But now. One, at one point you were far off. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I could stop right there. The impact and significance of that one statement. I was once far, but now I've been brought near because of what Jesus did on the cross. It goes on, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What does that mean right there? I want to explain that to you. What he's saying is, at one point, you were trying to do all these things to experience the peace that you needed in your life. Again, going back to all the sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament. But because of what Jesus did, what he's saying, there's now one replacing the two. You see, the thought was, well, the Messiah is coming just for the Jewish people, the people of Israel. They're called by God. Well, then all of a sudden you look in the New Testament church and there's these group of people called the Gentiles, which essentially was anybody that wasn't Jewish. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I didn't just come for the Jews. I came for the Gentiles as well. Again, all the Pharisees, mind blown. They're going, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And what he's saying is, look, the people of God are not Jews or Gentiles They're Christians. He's saying, I'm bringing it into one group of people, this massive group of people, the kingdom of God, Jews, Gentiles, every nationality coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And no longer is it all the works and the ordinances of what you once had to do. He came and he makes peace. That that phrase, making peace, that's one of Paul's favorite sayings. Some translation says establish peace. In Romans, which is such a a theologically rich book in in understanding the basis of Christianity, he he uses that phrase 11 times. In Ephesians, this book right here, he uses it seven times. He's trying to reiterate and communicate a principle that Jesus comes and he makes peace. He establishes peace. Why? Because Isaiah prophesied to him and said, he's going to ordain it for your life. Command it. Set it in place. It's what you have access to. Verse 16. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, so I love the fact that obviously things have changed and there's newness. But what I really love is the beginning of that group of scriptures in verse 13 that I'm brought near. That's the God we serve. You were once far off. I was once far off. And he brought me near. He brought me near. That I may experience peace that surpasses all understanding. That I may understand what that looks like. So what does peace actually look like? How do we experience in our life? I mean, there's, there's different types of peace. There's, there's peace between God and mankind. There's subjective peace with God through Christ, right? There's, there's peace between people. But when we look and understand, what does peace look like and how do we experience it? 
I, I want to set this up for us, but I want to start by first helping you see what peace isn't. You see, peace, first and foremost, isn't the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. We think, well, if I don't have conflict, then I'm going to have peace. That's not accurate. In fact, the Bible says you're called to be a peacemaker, which means you're going to have challenging conversations. You'll have hard conversations. It's not easy. There will be conflict. But when conflict is handled properly and there's healthy conflict resolution, there's a, there's a greater depth of relationship. Now, the relationship may look different in the future, but there is a greater measure of relationship. So it's not the absence of conflict. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will face trouble. You will face tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. What's he saying? You're gonna, there's going to be challenging moments. So peace is not the absence of conflict. In fact, if you're going to see peace, there will be conflict. You're going to see something one way. Someone else will see it a different way. In order to bring a resolution to that, guess what? You're going to have to have a conversation. And it will result in conflict, but it can be healthy conflict resolved in a healthy way. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but here's the other one. Here's the other thing that peace is not, and this one's really hard for me, especially the first part of this. Peace is not always complete clarity or ease. I like to know what's going on. I want to see it clearly. I want to know. I, well, can I tell you, you're not going to always see it clearly. Hebrews 11 actually says, faith is the evidence of things unseen, things hoped for. So we like the thought of faith, but if you're really going to live by faith, can I tell you, by default what you're saying is, I'm signing up for not having all the answers. I'm signing up for it not being real, real clear. Well, if I was to take a poll, I'm, and I know some of you pretty well, y'all don't do that real well. I'm just going to be honest. You don't like lack of clarity. You're like, give me the details. I want to know. I don't do well with not knowing. Okay, now I can see that because I resemble that remark, all right? I, I, I'm that way as well, okay? What happens is we have to recognize that that's where faith steps in. I'm not going to always see things clearly. We know that God is faithful. We know that he's working. But peace is not clarity, complete clarity, and it's not ease. But here's what peace is. First and foremost, peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. There it is. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love that right there when you read Galatians 5, 22-23. Uh, that is the fruit of the Spirit. I love the significant uh, aspect of that, the picture of what that represents. The fruit of the Spirit. That means, guess what? It can be produced in me. It is produced in me. It's cultivated in a life with God. It's not perfection, but it's progress. This isn't wishful thinking or positivity. This is spending time with God, and because of it, and I develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life, it produces fruit in me, and I, in turn, can produce fruit or produce peace. And so I begin to see those things played out in my life. So we recognize that peace is... Part of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the second thing is it's a perspective. It's a starting place. It's a reference point. It's a reference point. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, he gives peace. Again, here he's reiterating. Remember, this is John 14, 27. 
I shared with you John 16, two chapters later, what did he say? In this world you'll face trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's saying, listen, I want you to see something. I leave peace with you, and I give it to you. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little bit in just a minute. What does that mean, to leave peace? But he gives you peace. When I recognize that's what he leaves with me and that's what he gives me, can I tell you, it changes my perspective. It changes the way I see things. So peace is a perspective on how I see what's transpiring. And if I don't have a reference point, if I don't have peace as a reference point, if I don't see that properly, then here's what happens. If I have no reference point, I get lost. But here's the danger of that. It's not that I'm lost. It's that I oftentimes don't realize I'm lost. Nor do I know when I got lost, because I have no point of reference. But here's the last thing peace is, and the most important, it's a presence. It's the presence of Jesus in our life. When you look back at Ephesians 2, look at what verse 14 said, for he himself is our peace. That's who Jesus is to us. That's who he is to me, and that's who he is to you. He is the peace that I need. It's his presence in my life, no matter the circumstance or situation that I'm walking through. Isaiah, the prophet, again, going back to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 9, 6, declares, actually, who Jesus is. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What is it? Prince of Peace. Assuming you recognize that scripture. You know why? Because every Christmas, that's what you see. Can I tell you? There's no like Christmas scriptures in the Bible. That's just a Christmas scripture. Okay? That's actually the word of Isaiah being spoken, imparted by the Holy Spirit to declare who Jesus is. He is the Prince of Peace. And because he's the Prince of Peace, he ordains peace for us, which means I'm entitled to that because of who he is. You see, here's what we have to recognize. Peace in my life is not found in the absence of conflict or ease, but in the presence of Jesus, the one who is peace and gives peace in every season of life. That's what peace is. And what I love about this is that it impacts every aspect of our life. I'm going to give you some practical things here in just a minute as we wrap up, but as I think about my own life, I realize how... Like lately, I don't know what it is. It's like I, I find that I'm needing to be more disciplined in this than ever before. You know, it's like whether it's worry or anxiety or thoughts, it's like, man, I don't, you know, and can I tell you, it's like, it doesn't matter. You can think you'll grow out of it, but if you're not careful and you're not disciplined in peace, anxiety and worry will overwhelm you. And I don't know what it is. The truth is you may think, well, it'll get better as I get older. It probably gets worse. I found as I get older, it's like I have to be more disciplined in it. Maybe it's because you have more responsibility and things of that nature. As you get older, you'll feel that worry, that anxiety. You know, it's like I can, I think about even with my kids. Like, you know, I can remember, I was like, I think it was this month, probably because we were driving, I had this thought, it just hit me all of a sudden. You know, my, my, my oldest, she'll be driving in, a, in like Four or five years, I'm like, wait a minute, what? And then I start thinking about, well, I heard about this and I heard about that and this accident and this teenager and this, that, and the other. And I can feel it like, oh, my God. Can I tell you? 
I experienced that in different seasons with them. When they were younger, it was like they were choking. Like if they were choking, I'd get so worried. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, now they have these contraptions. like put it over their face like, and like sucks it out of their throat. I'm like, give me five of those. I'm like, they're like, you only got three kids. I was like, I don't care. Just in case one breaks, give me some extra. So I'm worried about them choking. Then I'll be worried about them driving. Then I'll be worried about will they marry the right person. Then I'm worried about what are they going to do with their life in the future. And then I worry about, oh, my gosh, did I screw them up? And they need counseling. And I feel bad. I'll pay for all of it, baby. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Whatever it is, oh my God, on and on and on and on and on. But I can have peace through it all. It's not going to be found in a circumstance or situation changing. I need it. You need it. We need it. We can go beyond just momentary peace. Tied to a location, a season, or a situation, we can live with the peace of God. And when we do... It impacts our everyday, and here's how. First and foremost is it shifts our perspective. It changes the way we see things. It shifts our perspective. John 19, Jesus, about to breathe his last breath, he's dying on the cross for my sins and for yours, and he says, it is finished. It's finished. What's he referring to? It goes back. He's throwing back to John 14, 27, when he said, I leave peace for you. I only leave, I'm leaving that for you because I'm going away. I've finished it. And because of that work, now I recognize and understand because it's finished, he leaves peace for me. I can be settled in that. What am I settled in? I'm settled in the fact that God is sovereign. Okay, God is sovereign. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? Well, the sovereignty of God, that word sovereign, it's a theological word. Here's what it means. It means God is in control, which really comes down to where we really have the biggest problem. We don't trust that God is in control. Bad things happen, challenging things happen, difficult situations happen. But when I know that God is sovereign, I know that what happens is this, that he rules and reigns as king, creator, and Lord over everything. But how do we interact with a God like that? Does that just mean everything that happens is his will? Does it mean that I need him to justify to me why things are going on the way they are going on? Does it mean that I have to understand every situation? No. Here's what I love about God. Is that I don't have to understand every situation that's going on in order for him to be good to me. We we prayed over, there was someone, one of the prayer requests on the screen. It was was a a couple that was saying, hey, we're, I think it was eight weeks pregnant. We've had a miscarriage. We're believing for this to to go to full term. Now, that resonated with me because Wendy had three miscarriages. So so I, I don't understand that. I don't know why that happened. Here's what I do know. I got three little kiddos. I'll meet in heaven one day. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not going to. But I'm so grateful that God's not up there going, figure this out, Chris. You need to understand why that happened and why I do the things I do before I'm good to you. No, no, no. I don't have to understand in order to experience the goodness of God. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's in control. And when I recognize that, it shifts the way I see things. We all know people like that. People that that see things a little differently, respond a little differently, and we're like, man, I want to be like that. They're just so positive and encouraging. If I just had their problems, their problems don't see that bad. If I just did what they did, if I had what they had, no, no, no. Really what you're saying is I want to think the way they think. They're thinking about it differently because they see it differently. I don't like it. This is hard. This is challenging. I don't understand. But God is in control. 
And his promise is that he works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And not only that, his ways are not my ways. So I'd sure like him to work on my timeline, but I'm trusting him that his timeline is better. I wish he would have answered this prayer a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. But if he answers that prayer the day before I go home to be with the Lord, then he answered that prayer. And if he answers that prayer on the other side of eternity, I'm good with that too because I trust God. His ways are not my ways. It's shifts my perspective which then here's what begins to happen when I see it differently I respond differently and here's the second thing that happens when we have the peace of God and we live this way and it impacts our everyday life it calms my soul something in my soul there's there's a peace that comes because of my soul it's like that phrase you hear people say man they're just calm and, and cool as a cucumber I actually don't know what that means or why cucumbers are cool or whatever I don't know But, like, you think about that. You're like, I won't be like that person. Where does that come from? It's not a shifting in perspective or situation. It comes from their soul. It's because I know God's in control. It transforms me from the inside out, and I can stand upon his word and his promise. Look at what the words of Paul are in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'm sure of a couple of things. He began the work, and he will do the work, and he will bring the work to completion, even if that happens at Jesus' coming. I know, and I trust. I'm sure of this thing. He goes on, and Paul writes later on in this same chapter to this young church in Philippi. says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. I say it all the time, and I don't know if I say it because you need to hear it, or I just need to continue to hear it. He's doing 10,000 things on your behalf, and you may be aware of three of them. He's been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. I don't see him working. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that he's a faithful God. And because of that, in the middle of a storm, because his presence is with me, I'm in this boat, and the waves are swirling around. The storm is swirling, but he's in the boat with me, and he's been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. And it brings a calm to my soul. But here's the greatest impact it has on my everyday life. Yeah, it shifts my perspective. I see it different. It brings a peace and a calm to my soul. But here's what it does. It then changes my response. It changes the way I respond. You see, I've got to work on that. Because I tend to react sometimes, not always respond. And most of the time, I react. When I react, I react inordinately rather than responding appropriately. But when I have the peace of God, I respond differently. And here's why that's so important. Because we serve a creative God, God uses that to impact those around us. Really? Yeah. Here's how. Genesis 126 says, you were created in his image and in his likeness. You're created in the likeness of God. You're created in the image of God. Well, what's the purpose of an image? It's to give a reflection to the creator. And what I love about being an image barrier and a reflection of God is that I don't have to work to do anything. I don't have to be perfect. I just simply have to reflect the creator. And so what begins to happen is when I have the peace of God and my perspective changes, my soul is at ease and calm, my response is appropriate, then what begins to happen, I become a reflection of who God is to Wendy, to my girls, to those that I'm around and those that I have an opportunity to build a relationship with. You and what you do are important and significant. 
And God will use this peace in your life to be a reflection of him in your home, in your workplace, at the gym, at the coffee shop you frequent. People see you. Something's different about you. You seem calm and cool as a cucumber. I don't know what that means, but that's what you seem like. And they think it's positivity. They think it's just you're an encourager. You got good energy, good vibes only. It ain't that. Okay, love it. Great. Get the sticker and the t-shirt. It's the peace of Jesus in your soul. That type of peace, that being settled in your soul, that type of perspective and that appropriate response comes from only one place. The peace of Jesus Christ rooted in him. What are you concerned about? What are you needing peace for? We're the things that are uncertain in your own life. What is it that you need? Fill in the blank. I need peace blank. Whatever it is, think about it. Write it down in your notes. Type it in your phone. Where do you need peace? And you may think, does God care about that? Absolutely. It's important to him. You want to know why it's important to him? Because you're important to him. And you can have peace, not momentary peace, not peace just in that situation or not peace found in a certain place or circumstance or season of life. Peace that's rooted in a relationship with Jesus that changes the way you see things, that brings a calm and a peace to your soul and it impacts your response, which in turn impacts those around you. You see, but here's the thing you have to realize about the peace of Jesus. It's not automatic, but it is accessible.